It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Newt, great to see you, Mr. Speaker. Oh, great to be back with you, and it's always fun. And I have to tell you, I'm so impressed with the work you're doing on history. Oh, thanks. And how much you're reintroducing Americans to their own country. Well, yeah, I mean, that's fundamentally, that's your major path. You like politics, but you love history. I correct? really do. And you have done an amazing job. Well, thanks. I mean, <clears throat> uh, I've, the new book I have coming out is, uh, is Teddy and Booker T. And we're going to Tuskegee University and knowing that this one man started it in a broken down house while he spoke. Uh, there was rain coming through the roof and he had to have one of his students hold an umbrella and next thing you know, it's a sprawling university with an institution that has educated tens of thousands, uh, millions of, uh, of students around the country. I mean, to me, that's a legacy. And, we're, and then I'm watching Tim Scott having the same debate on The View to a degree that they were having in 1880 and 1890 and 1915. No, we right. still haven't gotten through it. Well, and what makes it poignant is that this August is the 60th anniversary of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream speech where he says what matters is the content of your character, yeah. not the color of your skin, which, of course, was Booker T. Washington's whole point, that people could grow, people could do better, uh, that, in fact, America was a country that had opportunity, the opposite of the left-wing views that came to dominate so much of, of the black community. I know you were a military family, so you moved a lot. Right. But when you could you describe what Georgia was like uh, when you got there? What what was like? What was like in society in Georgia and race relations well, when you got there? Well, when I got there, because I'm I'm old enough, I got there when it was still segregated. That's what I mean. And and it was it was and and later when I went to Tulane and, and was in New Orleans, the memory of the segregation was like a decade old, and and so literally you'd have white only uh, water fountains, white only bathrooms, um, uh, African Americans couldn't sit at a lunch counter. I mean. It's important to remember, and and I heard uh, Tim Scott last night beautifully describe that his grandfather, who'd been born in 1921, would get off the pavement and keep his eyes looking down if a white person went by, but that his grandfather believed in America, and he thought if he worked hard, his son would do better, and if his son worked hard, his son would do better, and now, of course, the grandson is running for president as a United States senator. And I think that's why Tim represents an optimistic vision of America. And, and, and frankly, for the life of me, I, I've never understood how Barack Obama and Michelle Obama could be elected to the White House twice and yet have a sense of resentment that somehow uh, they, they were limited in their future by, by race. Uh, and it just made no sense at all. And I think, I think in many ways Obama put us back uh, a generation in his attitudes. You know, it's a different. The Senator Obama seemed much more patriotic than President Obama. He yeah. seemed much more positive and optimistic. You remember that speech after Reverend Wright, and he came out and said that was a different generation. We've gone past that now. And I thought, kind of ad libs a lot of it no, too. No, his, his, and I his, thought, wow, man, this guy's different. Yeah, his Philadelphia speech in response to Wright was brilliant, but something happened. I don't know whether you know. I think part of the problem now is. That in the Democratic Party, the people who get together at the cocktail parties and at the fundraisers all reinforce each other in kind of a bitter, hostile to America viewpoint. And it gradually just seeps in as a kind of acid. 
Right. I just never felt more aware. Everyone's always talking about race and and uh, ethnicity and gender. And now we know what's going on with gender. Uh, I, I get I get excited this time of year because I even on both sides. I remember when when the Barack Obama Hillary Clinton fight was going. I loved it. I loved every second of it. It was just to see the tactics and to see if this young senator was going to beat the established candidate and the Clinton legacy. How would it do with Bill? And now I'm watching on the Republican side. I don't remember a more talented group. Everyone's got some talent. I mean, you got the former president. We've never seen this before in my lifetime. Grover Cleveland, I guess. William Jennings Bryant was somebody who ran a couple of times in a row. But now we have Senator Tim Scott, great story. Governor Nikki Haley's got the governor background, has got the international experience. Then on the, then you turn around and have Governor DeSantis, the most successful governor in the country, who's done more for Florida than anybody else. Unbelievable intellect and background. And then you have a former president who got 72 million votes last time. Governor Christie is a talented, great prosecutor. Let's see if he can resonate. And then you have Asa Hutchinson, who's got a huge, great resume. So this is going to some you have some talent on that stage, don't you think? Well, I think the enormous talent, the great personal human stories. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I, I think it's good for America. I mean, when you have a Tim Scott out there explaining and taking on the left wing's racist views, uh, the country's going to resonate with Tim. I mean, I, I happened to see him last night here at Fox, and he's, he's doing a great job. He's, he is as totally positive as anyone I know. And I think it's deep. It's inside him. It's based in part on his Christian beliefs. Um, but at the same time, Nikki Haley, first-generation parents, came from India. She, was, she ran a small business. She became governor, she, and, and she was a very tough reform governor. Then she got to be U.N. ambassador. Great story. And 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 I think what in Iowa and in New Hampshire, these folks are going to really – that's a Republican Party that's diverse, inclusive, idea-oriented, uh, and frankly smart. I mean compare that with Kamala Harris. Yeah, who has the opportunity of a lifetime. I mean if she was a productive vice president like we're used to with Dick Cheney and you would – what Al Gore was productive. Nobody thought right. he couldn't handle anything. Nobody thought that Mike Pence couldn't deliver and provide – all the background about running government that Donald Trump didn't know because he was doing something else his whole career. And she has this opportunity, doesn't do it. Have you ever heard of a vice president being asked to do something like the border and just not doing it? Well, I, I think that they have a real challenge in the Democratic Party because Kamala Harris is at least two levels above her competence. Uh, and maybe three. I'm not sure she was a, she was an attorney general for yeah. California, U.S. senator and then vice president. And it's, it's pretty clear that she just can't do the job. Uh, <clears throat> and what's what's weird is at that level, you can usually prop somebody up with really good staff. Right. And it doesn't seem to work. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like there's anything you can do to get her to be effective. Right. And she's had this opportunity to give you an example, the debt ceiling. I mean, that would have been a perfect time if you're if you're Joe Biden or if you're concerned about the ticket to say, we're going to put her at the head. She's going to be there with her sleeves rolled up. Joe has got to finish up the G7 and go to go to his two other stops, Australia and Papua New Guinea. And we're going to put the vice president there. And then you have a few Democrats come out and say, wow, she's amazing. She got into the details of it. She could have gotten credit. Instead, she was just marching around the country. As far as I know, she wasn't even in Washington during it. No, it's it, it, it's it's fascinating to me, and I think that um, when when you watch it, um, it's almost embarrassing, frankly, uh, 
Um, she gave, by the way, she did give a very good speech at West Point. I, I, I read the you speech. Did. And I, you know, that, that's one of the few places I've seen where she was well-staffed. She delivered it well. You know, and if she could be disciplined to do that, she might recover. But I think she's now so deeply embedded. Uh, and, and I thought it was fascinating that Nikki Haley said uh, yesterday that she's not running against Joe Biden. She's running against Kamala Harris because if Biden were to get reelected, Harris would be president. Uh, that's an interesting tact, right? I, I think I mean, it shook she, up the it, White House I, pretty badly. And I did. I, I, I know the press secretary had no answer. Um, so Governor Sununu yesterday, you know the family. Yes. Uh, Chris Sununu is very successful, two-term governor, going for three. He gets elected every two years. Here's what he said. Uh, he said that Donald Trump has no chance of winning cut eight. The math has shown Donald Trump has no well, chance that's, look, that's of winning in November of 24. He wouldn't even win Georgia. If you're a Republican that can't win Georgia of November 24, you have no shot. And he's proven that. So and not only has he proven it, but the candidates he gets behind in a good conservative state like Georgia lose the race. His messaging doesn't translate. It does well with a hardcore 30, 35 percent base, but he loses everybody beyond there. And no one is undecided about the former president. So he's he he's a positive guy, but he is down on President Trump. Uh, Does he have a point in your view? Well, he has a point unless Trump can disprove it. I mean, in all the recent polls, Trump's ahead of Biden. In fact, Trump's ahead of Biden by more than DeSantis. So <clears throat> I think it all depends. Are there people who are tired of Trump's behavior? Yes. Do those people, when they say, okay, I, I didn't particularly like his tweets, but it all worked. And I really dislike Biden and think it's not working. I mean, Biden is down at like... 25 or 28 percent on whether or not his policies work. Now, so I'm not prepared. I, I frankly think Trump probably would win the general election. But what's interesting to me is none of the people who are anti-Trump, we'll see if Chris Christie's different, none of them actually take Trump head on about policy. I mean, he has, he's essentially won the policy fight inside the Republican Party. And so they've got to find some angle of attack. Uh, and I think they're all a little afraid because they know that the people who are for Trump, which is in the latest poll, 53 percent of the Republicans against the entire field, um, they really like Trump. And so the, here you are. If you attack him too much, do you then lose the general election because mm-hmm. none of the Trump voters will, will vote for you? And the question is, too, are you going to get Michigan back? Are you going to get Wisconsin back? Are you going to get Georgia back? Are you going right. to get Arizona back? What has changed in that interim? And is he is that a coachable thing that you could do? With the president, with the former president, to try to, to try to persuade Arizona to go back to your way, because without these states, you you don't win. Pennsylvania is going to be a, a tough road. Yeah, I think, but I think part of the question is, can can Trump, who's who's very different, uh, somebody pointed out the other day, I thought it was a very useful insight, that Trump is an entertainer. Uh, he's, he's, he's totally different from any politician you've ever seen except maybe Ronald Reagan because he spent 13 years with a top-rated show called The Apprentice. Yeah. So he got up every day and thought – because NBC was paying him a lot of money. And he got up every day and thought, what is it I need to do to keep the audience? Because he'd figured out the television is pretty ruthless. You know, if you have an audience – you get paid. If you don't have an audience, you don't get paid. And NBC liked him enough. They offered him a pretty good bit of money to not run for president because they wanted to keep the show. Yeah. So this guy, he takes that same talent and he's funny. 
I mean, if you watch him, he's an entertainer. It's, I, I used to tell him he's a vaudevillian. This is vaudeville. He, right. he loves doing these big, big events because he gets out there on stage and he's exactly like an old time vaudeville actor. And he goes off on a riff and, you know, and people start to get rocking and rolling with him. Uh, <clears throat> and I think that uh, people don't understand if, if he's my guess is he's probably going to be the nominee by March. Because if they can't beat him in Iowa, New Hampshire. New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina, it's over. True. And, and you're going to lose the, – the herd will thin by – after Iowa, correct? Right. And then you'll thin a big time after New Hampshire. And then – and we'll see what happens because, yeah. because they set up winner take all in a lot of these things. That's right. I want to go back to the history of your march to majority right after this. We'll take a short time out. Uh, Newsbook just came out. It's rocketing up uh, Amazon charts. March to the majority. It's really how – uh, new became speaker and how the country changed with the new with um, uh, with the new deal, uh, not with your new deal, with your contract with America. That's true. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers here at first on the Brian Kilmeade show. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. We're back. New Kingridge is here. His book is now out. Uh, it's really his story, his professional story. March to the Majority, the real story of the Republican Revolution. Newt, how did you go from professor, backbencher, to architect of the contract with America to becoming speaker and implementing it? That's what this is about. Yeah, and it's really a, it's really a playbook for anybody who wants to learn how to do it. It's, it's not just a history book about the past, but you can take step by step what we learned I always remind people I ran twice and lost. I won the third time. Uh, so cheerful persistence is a key part of my life. And then in 1978, after I won, I said to the Republican leadership, we've been in the minority 24 years. Don't we need a plan to become a majority? And they said, that's a terrific idea. Let's create a committee. You're in charge before I was even sworn in. Wow. Uh, but we lost in 80, 82, 84, 86, 88, 90, and 92. And it wasn't that we were doping around. I mean, we were working every two years. It was a it was a bigger mountain than I thought it was, and we finally learned so many lessons that are in March the Majority, and in '94 it all came together. But I always remind people we stood on Reagan's shoulders. Uh, Reagan, for example, proposed welfare reform running for governor in 1965. We passed it in 1996, <laughs> 31 years. Um, <clears throat> Reagan did the first Capital Steps event, which I helped organize in 1980. And brought every House and Senate candidate together. They had – Reagan described it as a contract and five items. Uh, we picked up so many House seat, – Senate seats that year. We won control when nobody thought we would. So Reagan entered office with a Republican Senate. We gained 29 seats in the House. And that made it possible to pass the Reagan program. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, David Broder wrote a column saying what a courageous step it was. The Republican presidential candidates normally ran away from their party. Reagan went over and embraced it and said, look, if I'm going to govern, I need you guys. And you should think about what the country was at then. We were in double-digit right. interest rates, uh, the malaise. There, there was a sense that we're, our best days were behind us. Right. And then in comes this optimistic guy who people thought was too radical to get elected in 76. But in 80, he seemed to work. Well, he, he said one time, he kept saying the same things, but the country came around. And he had this great line about Carter. He said, you know, <clears throat> if, if your brother-in-law loses his job, it's a recession. 
If you lose your job, it's a depression. If Jimmy Carter loses his job, it's a recovery. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but see, this happened. You pointed out, too, with Speaker McCarthy. People said it wasn't enough. He didn't get enough. And you said he got enough because you remember the blueprint. The blueprint is you got to do things incrementally. You just didn't rattle off three balanced budgets. You built to that. That's right. I, I always tell people we started with one step. And if you look at the uh, debt ceiling deal as one step, it's a good step. If you think it's the final step, it's a bad step. But it took us three years to get to a balanced budget. We then did it for four straight years, the only time in your lifetime. We got welfare reform in our second year, not our first year. Uh, and <clears throat> we also closed the government twice. We, 26 days was one time and about six days the other time. And all the news media said, oh, this is terrible. The Republicans are going to suffer. We became the first reelected majority since 1928 because people thought we were serious, we were determined, and we were committed. And I think you're going to see that, that Speaker McCarthy really means to keep this deal. And the Senate right. Republicans, many of them, are about to have a real challenge because they want to spend a lot more money, and I don't think he's going to do it. So interesting. George H.W. Bush, you talk about Tip O'Neill, Richard Nixon, and the Ronald Reagan story. But what about you working with Bill Clinton? Did you guys understand? Why did you guys understand that compromise would equal accomplishment? Well, we don't seem to understand that today. He, he was very different. I mean, Clinton had been governor of a very conservative state. Uh, he won in 78 as the youngest governor in the country. He lost in 80, and it just shook his life. He lost the mansion, the car, the airplane. No longer governor. You know, he's wandering around. And he said this to me one time. He wandered around for a year just moping. And finally some guy at a, at a rural small store said to him, son, you've gone around and apologized enough. Just run for governor. You'll win. It'll be fine. So he finally wins again in 82 and again gets reelected. He had dealt with a very conservative Arkansas right. legislature. Wow. And that's all in the book. And it's good to get a perspective so you don't overreact to the news. Go deeper on the issues, especially the recent history. And you can do that with Newt's book, March to the Majority. Newt, great to get this quality Great to time. see you. Ab- absolutely. It's great to see you in studio. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.